Welcome to Fate's Wide Wheel, a Quantum Leap podcast with Sam and Dennis. We are coming to you from our top secret headquarters at Project Quantum Leap, but you can find us online at fwwquantumleappod.com or follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Fate's Wide Wheel. And please do us a favor by hitting the subscribe button on iTunes. Hey, bear with us. Bear with us. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everybody. There's no bear in the room, I promise. No, no, no. Um, uh, I uh, beat Nat. Never mind. Thank you, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Fate's Wide Wheel. Uh, we are here at Project Quantum Leap, and the uh, heater, as you may be able to hear, is going full on because it is under 30 degrees outside. Yeah. We say our top secret headquarters in, in, in the intro <laughs> is a little gimmick, but we're in Chicago. Yeah. And in Chicago... It's uh, it's 30 below, and we have somewhat primitive recording equipment right now, so please uh, bear with us. I'm sure Sam will do his best to punch up the sound however you can. Absolutely. That's that's his end. Speaking of which, we, we did get a little feedback about that at one point, and so I have been uh, uh, raising the level uh, a bit. Uh, so, yeah, you shouldn't have to crank up your... Your listening devices to full volume to hear everything, uh, so we do always appreciate yeah. that feedback. And um, that was Russell Knight who gave us that feedback. Who, by the way, his Facebook profile is a picture of uh, Henry Cavill from <laughs> from Man of Steel, but with the mustache, with the stash, with the stash. Oh, yeah, Russell, uh, well nice. done, sir. That is, <laughs> you know, I, I would buy that Superman. I, uh, you know, I would buy more than nineteen seventies, but I would buy that Superman. Yeah, why not? Wasn't Burt Reynolds actually in the running at one point? Uh, I don't know. Maybe he was uh, in the running to play Han Solo. I know that much. That makes more sense. Yeah, it does. Who yeah. knows? Anyway, um, so we're here today to discuss Blind Faith. Um, we are cruising through the second season. Uh, this episode was directed by David G. Finney, written by Scott Shepard. It aired November the 1st, 1989. Our leap date is February the 6th, 1964, and Sam has leapt into Andrew Ross. Ross the Ray Charles of classical piano. <laughs> Indeed. Let's read the TV Guide description. What do we got? Sam, Scott Bakula, plays it again as a famous concert <laughs> pianist who has to prevent the murder of a friend and the fact that he's supposed to be blind is noteworthy. Well, all right, then. All right. Noteworthy. Is, 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 is noteworthy. Because he's... <laughs> Jesus H. I just... I thought, oh, that that's kind of a... Like, someone like just like quickly wrote that one in there. Right. But there was a pun in there I did, yeah. I did not even see. Uh, well well yeah. played, TV guy. How about writer. that, TV guy? Um, so yeah, we're uh, coming out of uh, what, what Price Gloria and the opening sort of narration scene stuff is still there rather than the Saga Cell, which will be, you know mm-hmm. become more prevalent. Um, Please get here, Saga Cell. Yeah, yeah. These these opening narrations, and the funny thing is, is I genuinely feel like not so much this one, but for Good Morning Peoria, which is the next episode we'll talk about. Mm-hmm. There's almost. You, there's almost a wince in Scott Bakula's voice as yes, he's reading it. Yes, yes, yes. I gotta read this crap. <laughs> yeah, because it's probably like the last thing they do from when the episode or whatever, like weeks yeah. later, they bring him in and, you know. Yeah, yeah, and they're, they're fine. They're, they're totally serviceable, but the one of the things that I'm, I'm noticing more and more uh, is just how there are certain... 80s television kind of 
things, whether it's a, a button on a scene before you go to commercial, or, or you know, just it, things that kind of feel a little cheesy sometimes, and I think get in the way of a good episode. And there are actually a couple of moments within Blind Faith that that happens, so I, I look forward to talking about that a little bit. Because there's a couple of moments where I'm just sort of like, oh, you really didn't have to do that, but... They, 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 <laughs> yes, I had another thought. I, I, I think uh, it, it, it's somewhat different, but yes, I, I feel like this episode, uh, the the serial killer trope oh, is man. totally steeped in the 80s, and, and we'll get into that. Absolutely. Uh, here in a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. there's, there's a thing, and we'll get into it in a little bit, like it, it bugged me about the plot of this episode, and then when I put it through the filter of how we saw serial killers at that time in the 1980s. I was like, oh, okay, I got it. Yeah. I, I see how the writing got us to this point. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Speaking of which, uh, we do get an oh, boy moment mm-hmm. uh, as Sam is sitting there at the piano. He's finished uh, a beautiful concerto, we're sure, and the audience is applauding. Um, and he, of course, is scared out of his wits that he's not going to know what to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... He goes off stage, uh, which is where we first meet Michelle, mm-hmm. uh, played by Cynthia Bain. Um, she, I thought this was kind of interesting, according to her IMDb page, for the past you know 15 years or so, she's been working almost exclusively as an acting coach. Uh, and performance consultant for like children's television shows. Fantastic. Yeah, which I thought was really kind of cool. Uh, and it's interesting too because she got her start um, when she was very young. She was like, she had been like 15, 14 or 15 years old, I think. Uh, so she's got some experience in that in mm-hmm. that realm. But she also did a lot of television uh, coming up. Um, she was in like Chips and Knots Landing. And, oh, Chips. You know, Highway to Heaven. Mm-hmm. The. Uh, the, the, the biblical version of quantum. Uh, uh, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> um, and so Sam has to go back out uh, for because, his encore, yeah. mm-hmm. and uh, he sits down um, and launches into chopsticks. Uh, one thing interesting to note: this is uh, where the previous episode, what Price Gloria kind of implies it. This is the first episode that flat out confirms yes. that Sam's body fully leaps, and it's not just his mind. Because right. even though Andrew Ross is blind. Sam obviously has retained his eyesight. Yeah, Noteworthy. yeah, and and well, and it's funny too. Noteworthy. What <laughs> <laughs> a joke of the episode. Oh man, you should write for TV Guide. Uh, <laughs> I'm good. So, so uh, and one thing also that I think is noteworthy is that his dog Chopin uh, clearly notices that there's a difference here uh, with, with Andrew, mm-hmm. and uh, and I think that that goes back to what we've seen since the first season, where animals can see Al, and mm-hmm. you know, and so it makes sense that this scene, Eye Dog, which clearly would be so you know such a huge and important part of Andrew's life, notices the difference. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I I, uh, I like this scene. You know, it's fun. Sam goes back, starts playing chopstick. At first, the audience you could tell they're they're sort of like, "What is going on?" And then they're in on the joke, and they laugh and they applaud, and it works out for him. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's a it's a nice, cute little moment. And uh, and you know, he, he plays it off well, and mm-hmm. yeah, takes his bow. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, and then we quickly move on to outside. Yeah, they're working on the street pretty quickly. Yeah, um, and and it, you know we really right away we get a, a wonderful um, look into the relationship between Michelle and Andrew. Um, you know, obviously as filtered through Sam's 
eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how mm-hmm. can I say that? Uh, and, uh, and and forgive and, forgive the accidental puns throughout. It's going to be hard. Yeah. Um, so so Michelle, uh, yeah, Michelle's a nice character. Cynthia, you know, plays her well. She's sweet, sensitive, mm-hmm. um, young in nursing school. Mm-hmm. Needs to get home to hit the books, um, and. They have this moment outside of the newsstand. Uh, actually, before that, there's the uh, right. Well, no, he gets to the newsstand and he's looking at the newspaper to see what time. Yeah, he zooms in to see. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so she asks what he's doing, and he mentions something about the newspaper stand, and she's like, "How did you know that?" And uh, and of course, he plays it off with a. Um, I could hear the 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 crumpling of the newspapers or, or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, but then she takes out his, his pocket watch, which uh, has, like, Braille on it, so he's able to tell the time. Um, but, of course, she lets him know what time it is, so he doesn't actually have to, mm-hmm. uh, which is nice. But one of my favorite shots actually happens here, and it feels, in some ways, while easy and simple, it came off to me as a little more sophisticated, especially for... Establishing scenes of Quantum Leap. Like, I feel like it's something that they usually do pretty well, but this was really nice. Uh, there's the... Because it's not made too much of, but there's that pan over the crumpled newspaper on the ground, which says, like, Third Woman Strangled in the Park. Yes. And I just thought that was such a really wonderful, like, economy of storytelling. Mm-hmm. Because now, here's this thing. Yeah. And it's great because it's not like it's been the entire conversation between the two of them as they've left... You know, they're not just talking about, oh, did you hear about the third woman strike? You know, there's not this mm-hmm. clunky expository conversation. Instead, we just get this nice what, little shot of the newspaper. And what's wonderful is, and this has, you know, gone away because, like, print newspapers more and more yeah. less, but it's like you, you, you get that wonderful economy of storytelling with dates and stuff with time travel shows. It's, it'll be interesting, like, 50 years from now when they're doing time travel shows and they're coming back to our present yeah. day. Like, how, how are you going to get those those shots people looking on their phone or something so, but yeah exactly well I mean today yeah Sam yeah. would just pick up his iPhone X and look at it mm-hmm. it would unlock and he'd know the time when where everything absolutely yeah whose friends were yeah if anyone's sending him naked pictures yeah time travel shows are going to be a lot less interesting yeah in the uh, there is I, I, <laughs> uh, I'm not sure if, it, if it's this one or if it's the next day scene there is a shot in this episode where uh they show the Twin Towers, which oh. actually they haven't even started to be built yet. Interesting. Oh, yeah, yeah, because it's right. We're in 1960. Yeah. No, yeah. No, yeah. But, uh, but, hey, what are you going to do? Ah, right. Hey, yeah, yeah, we, yeah, you know. What are you going to do? Which is funny, considering the, the episode was actually shot on a Hollywood backlot, but for establishing shots, shot, they showed us the skyline. They, they the skyline yeah. up there. <laughs> yeah, that's going to slip in. Which sometime. is also kind of interesting when you think about it, because if I'm not mistaken, for um, Double Identity, when they use the establishing shots of New York, those mm-hmm. are all, like, that's all stock footage. Uh-huh. And it was... And it, was period appropriate, so it's interesting that that something slipped that in this one. Yeah, they didn't get slipped that. in through there. Yeah, I don't know. Just well, reminded me, did you ever watch the U.S. version of Life on Mars? Uh, I don't know. I don't think I did. I only watched the British version, but I didn't see all of it. So. Ah, see, when I, uh, because the U.S. version, obviously, they move it over to New York, yeah. and they actually make great use. Yeah. of the Twin Towers. Oh, nice. Because okay. it, it's present day going back to the mid. 1970s. Yeah. And actually, in the U.S. version, the first really huge visual cue that he, really big visual cue that he gets, mm-hmm. that he is back in time, 
is he looks up and he realizes he is standing in the shadow of the Twin Towers. Uh, and that was, and that series was in 2008, so that was just, you know, seven years yeah. after 9-11, so. Is it good? I, because I, I, like I said, I've seen the British version, I thought it was exceptionally well done. I think John Sim is great, and that's one of the things about the show that was such a big draw, was him as the lead, and so that to me, I feel like the burden of that on someone else would not be easy. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. It only, I mean, the U.S. version only lasted 17 episodes, which is more episodes than the British version, but the U.S. version is considered a failure because it only lasted right. one season. In hindsight, I'm glad it only lasted one season because their answer at the end is drastically different from the U.K. version, mm. and that was the showrunner's plan all along. Yeah. And had I watched the show for five seasons and we got to the ending that we got to, I would have been annoyed. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I'll, I'll tell you off, Mike. I don't give you any spoilers. Right. I, I, that being said, I think uh, it, it is available on DVD, the entire series, yeah. like 17 episodes. It is definitely worth your time. Nice. The answer, the last five minutes of the series, because they actually got to, they knew they were going to get canceled, so they yeah. actually got to resolve it. Nice. Um, yeah, the last five minutes are, eh, are what they are. Uh, yeah. But I think the the, the seventeen and nine tenths episodes are, or sixteen and nine tenths are definitely worth your time. Nice. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I'll definitely have to check it out. Like I said, I like the British version, but I never finished it, so I should go do go back and do that at some point. Mm. It, you know, there was that that age where uh, you know Netflix still has a lot of content. Don't get me wrong, but I mean, you could find just about anything you wanted on Netflix, and mm-hmm. both of them were on Netflix at one point. And now I don't think either one of them are, mm-hmm. which is too bad. But anyway. Um, so anyway, back, yeah. to, back to another time travel show. Right. Quantum Leap, Blind Faith. Uh, there's this moment where he... So, so Michelle basically drops him off, or drops herself off, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's this moment where he's trying to figure out where he lives. Um, and then we get our, our, our French lady with her dogs named Josephine and Napoleon mm. uh, come out. And it's a, it's kind of a weird bit, and it's what I was talking about earlier with just it feels sort of like there's nothing wrong with it, but it's kind of just unnecessary. And even to the point where it seems like the actor is having difficulty navigating those stairs and the heels that she has to wear, which also is like, why the hell is she walking her dogs in these, like, six-inch heels? I mean, <laughs> taking her dogs on a long walk, I mean, they've established we're after midnight now, yeah. or we're close to midnight. Right. And so one, it's like, I could see, if you, I mean, if you got to walk your dogs, dogs are, you know, finicky, temperamental, maybe, maybe you got to take them on a walk, sure. Why are you dressed like that. Right? After midnight. I mean, hey, you, you do and you, but, 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 but for <laughs> sure. I uh, Yeah, but like that just, early in the morning, that late at night, when I go to walk Jessica Jones, which yeah. is our our dog, like when I take her down for her final pee of the night, many nights I'm walking out in just my bathrobe. <laughs> I don't care. I mean, we're just walking. We're taking ten steps out to the grass for her to pee, and, sure. then, we're, and then we're walking right back in. If anybody's... I mean, I'm covered up. Right. You know, it's a right. big furry bathrobe, you know. Yeah. Uh, but if anybody sees me, I don't care. Yeah. Uh, I think you get great insight into someone's soul by what they wear to walk their dog either early in the morning or late at night. Absolutely. Absolutely. But anyway, so... So, yeah, and I feel like the the only reason for this moment, really, 
especially because of what happens later, is is to play off the the gag that Sam is checking her out as she walks away. Only Andrew can't see, and it's just it, it, I don't know. I, I don't want to be hypercritical of it because at the end of the day, it's like yeah, whatever. But it was just it was one of those things that I sort of was like, okay, this is because the television show was written thirty years ago as mm-hmm. opposed to be because I just don't feel like you'd see that today unless it was a sitcom. Yeah, you know? I mean, it, it's a visual joke to reinforce that. Andrew's supposed to be blind, but Sam is not. But also, it is kind of out of character for yeah for Sam to check her out that way. You're right, and then and well, and the thing is, is because we get the you know the reinforcement uh, of, of the fact that Andrew's blind and that Sam's not. Just moments later, when we get the mirror shot, it's sort of like, okay, you know, do what you gotta, but it's, mm-hmm. it's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and then yeah, the mirror shot, we get our first look at Andrew, um, and there is a interesting little. Sight goof that you know normally we don't talk about a whole lot of this stuff because you know whatever. But uh, it's just interesting to me because the mirror image uh, Andrew is there, and then all of a sudden you actually see Scott Bakula's shoulder creep into the mirror image as well, mm-hmm. um, which I guess gives you a little insight into the fact that how they, how they, how they, were, they did yeah. that. Speaking of uh, sight goof, something I totally missed from White What Price Gloria. Last week, uh, because Butsy never finished watching the episode with me uh, mm. the week before, so we uh, we were watching like that that very last scene yeah. of What Price Gloria, and they do this shot where Scott Bakula sits on the couch of Samantha, and that like the camera actually like pans around, following Buddy locking the door, and then they show the the cabinet in the mirror on the other side, and in the mirror it's the the actress yeah in there, and what. Uh, Watching it this last time, something I had never caught before. Like as the camera starts to pan around, Scott Bakula is lounging on the couch, and the camera doesn't quite get away from him. But you can clearly see him start to get up off the couch, no way. so that the actress can can replace him. And like that's once you great. see it, it's like oh, it's so obvious. Like he's jumping off the couch. That's great. Yeah. Well, you got to think too that you know almost 30 years ago when somebody's in the editing bay and they're, and they're looking at this, they're thinking to themselves, ah, somebody's going to watch it once. Maybe they'll catch it in reruns. You know, who cares? Mm-hmm. But now you could just imagine someone's like fright if they saw that and we're like, Oh, we have to get rid of that. Like mm-hmm. they're going to pause this. They're going to rewind it on their streaming device. They're going, you know, and, mm-hmm. and so you, there are obviously still flubs like that that get made, but they're very far and, and few between these days. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, yeah. so we get the mirror shot with with Andrew and right, Scott, yeah, uh, and then we meet Pete the cop, mm-hmm. um, Pete O'Shannon, Peter O'Shannon, yeah, <laughs> um, and uh, he immediately starts complaining about the fact that these four mop topped guys from England are you know raising hell with the the cops having to do extra duty the security because they're going to be playing Ed Sullivan. Uh, the Ed Sullivan show that's right so we're firmly established this is just a few days before the Beatles would uh invade America mm-hmm. um which is nice and one of the reasons why I sort of liked this little kiss with history if you will more than some of the others is it, it, it it's not as in your face again it's almost like that newspaper shot earlier it's it's more just sort, sort of like this is where you are and this is what's going on but it's not about that we're not going to make a, a, a moment of that necessarily and even with some of the stuff that happens later in the episode I never feel like it's I don't know it just it just it feels more like a brush with history as opposed to in your face like mm-hmm. you're teaching chubby checker the twist Spoilers. When would they do that? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah. 
Absolutely. I like and that. to jump back to the mirror shot, we were talking about this off mic before we started recording. It's interesting, uh, Chopin. Like he he he's another character of the show. Like he's oh, such, yeah. he's so great with like with with the with the, like the gags they get out of him. But it's clear like when he looks in the mirror, he sees his owner, right, Andrew. But then when he looks back, he sees Sam. Yeah, and I just thought that right. That's that that's interesting. It is well, and 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 you know it's funny too because there's this developing relationship between Sam and Chopin, and uh, like after Pete gives him the the peanuts or whatever, like mm. Sam's admonishing him for not spitting out the shells. Yeah. And, and you're right; he's very much uh, a, a character. And there's a, and there's a not only that established relationship that he clearly has with Andrew, but there's this developing relationship with Sam, and it it, it is kind of cute. And mm. there are some some gags that they get out of it that are pretty nice. Um, and there's even, you know, one of the big obstacles of the episode occurs because of Chopin in a way, if you mm-hmm. think about it. Uh, I- anyway, so, so Pete, uh, goes to do his beat and, um, mm-hmm. Sam has, you yeah. know. And Pete also, like, he makes reference, or no, it's, it's the next day we, where, where Pete makes reference to, uh, the serial killer the, thing going on. Yeah. yeah. So, and at this point, so... You know, Peter leaves. Sam um, gets his first visit from Al, which mm-hmm. you know, Al took took his time getting there, um, mm-hmm. of course. But uh, yeah, Al comes in, and um, there's conversation. My my favorite is uh, when Al recounts the story of seeing. Uh, Someone in Tijuana, I believe. Oh, yeah. Avita de Vila Tita. Yeah. Who used yeah. to play certain music with her toes and then and her other yeah. and then body she, parts. Yeah. Other body parts. And then she would finish the show by doing the Star Spangled Banner in 40 different languages. Uh, but this is where we establish that there is no sheet music because that, that's what Sam was looking for. Right. He, he's blind. Right. He wanted, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Uh, and he plays by ear, um, um, which is. Uh, yeah, it makes, makes him even more remarkable, really, when you think about it. And, you know, I mean, I guess I don't know much about how... I don't know. I was going to ask yeah. you, because because you're, you're a musician. You're a musician. You play guitar. I I dabble. I like I know, like, three-chord country. I can, you know... Sure. I, I can strum some songs. Yeah. But you are a, a much more experienced musician. Like, I... As far as, like, playing by ear, like, that... Yeah, I mean, it's not something that I could ever just do innately. There have certainly been times when uh, if I... If I listen to a song a few times and there's a certain thing that sticks out, you know, I might be able to kind of figure out a chord and then play around and figure out what comes next or, like, a progression or something like that, but not in any way, just sort of, like, hearing a song a few times and I'm like, oh, yeah, I know how to play that. Yeah. And I knew people, and I've known people that could do that. Uh, I, I A guy I went to school with, um, who actually has become quite famous these days, um, I, we were at a party at his place, and uh, two of us just kind of snuck off to his room so we could play guitar. And he had just gotten an electric guitar because he'd been um, he, he'd been in the service for a while, and so he just had gotten out and he was going to school, and you know he had a little extra money, so he bought a guitar. And um, he put on uh, a Radiohead album, and he picks up the guitar and he starts like playing along. And I'm just thinking to myself, oh, he, yeah, he must he must know this song. And he's just like, oh, I just learned this. And I was like, what? It sounds like spot on, 100% perfect. Um, so I've known people that can do that. Uh, uh, and I had a buddy of mine um, when I was in high school that was usually pretty good at identifying things. Like he could, and I don't know if it was necessarily because 
like he heard it and he just knew it, or it was because he had so much experience playing guitar that he heard a chord and he could be like, oh yeah, that's an E minor. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Anyway, I, I mean, I could definitely never do that. Um, for me, it's, yeah, I don't know. It's a much more blue collar sort of like, I know this chord and I know that oftentimes it's paired with this chord, mm, you know, okay. sort of thing. Um, but yeah, yeah, it, 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 it's interesting for Sam, especially because, uh, again, some of the things, and it's not difficult because of the Swiss cheese brain, and clearly he doesn't know some of these things himself, and, and, and there's a bit that we find out later on in the episode, specifically, that it's like, oh, if he would have remembered this, it probably would have helped him feel a little bit more confident about all of this. Uh, but we do get the notion, as the show goes on, that Sam you know, Sam can play music, um, and he can sing and, and he can fight and he can like, there are things that he can do cause he knew these things before he started leaping around in time anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but from this we get, uh, Andrew has to give another concert. Yeah. The following night. Yep. And we find out that Michelle is going to be strangled in Central Park after the concert. Yeah. Hence the plot and the obstacle. He has to play the concert he has to get through that time period to, yeah, to save Michelle from getting strangled in the park. Now, whether or not he really has to play the concert, <laughs> I have issues with that. But we'll talk about that as we as as we get closer to the concert. Yeah, no, I'm looking um, forward to hearing what you have to say. Yeah, so we get this nice visual shot of Al disappearing through the imaging chamber yeah, door yeah. And, and and Chopin trying to to get through him and. Which is great, because Chopin, when he goes over to scratch at the floor where mm-hmm. Al was just standing, there's already scratch marks on the floor. Mm-hmm. And, and I just, and in my head, I went, you know, I went all over the place, and I thought to myself, oh, maybe that's, like, Chopin's, like, little scratching spot anyway. And more likely, it was just that they'd shot the scene a few times, and the well, floor got scratched sure. up. Yeah. You know, but it was just kind of like, oh, okay, how about that? You know, it's already mm-hmm. scratched up. Um but it is, it's, yeah, it's a cute little moment. It's one of those things I was talking about with Chopin being such an important character. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, speaking of important characters, we get introduced to Michelle's mom, Agnes. Because um, there's the scene... That's right, she, yes. Because mm-hmm. we see Michelle like kind of taking her books out of the uh, uh, fire hose. That's yeah, right, and, yeah. And, and like clearly she was supposed to have been studying, but instead she was out with, uh, with Andrew... Um, and, and Mama does not approve. No. So that, yeah. And Mama is played by Jennifer Rhodes, who, uh, is, is again, another one of those actors that she, she still works to this day in television. She was recently like on an episode of Grey's Anatomy or something. And, you know, she, she started in 1971. So, you know, 45 plus years of a career and hitting all of the major TV shows as we've talked about, you know, before. Um, and, uh, I think in some ways is very effective. And if I can compare her to another mother character that we've recently had in the Americanization of Machiko, does a much better job of being sort of the, the, the villainous mother, you know, if you will, the, the, the wicked witch of the East as Al calls her or West was it. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I don't know. I, I, I just, there was something about her that I liked more. Um, hmm. not that this show is about comparing, contrasting, uh, villainous mothers, right. yeah. but what's, yeah, what's interesting is, and, and I've, uh, I've observed this before, like watching the episode previously, but rewatching it this time, 
uh, Michelle's mom reminds me so much of my uh, high school girlfriend in the first part of college. Oh, really? Her mom. Okay. Just... Yes. Yeah. Uh, just a very, very unpleasant person. Um, I, I should say my high school girlfriend, she um, uh, came from a broken home. Family had a lot of problems. Parents were divorced. Uh, but her and her mom, they would get in fights in front of me mm. all the time. And her mom was like, like kind of mom, like frequently like threatened to like send her off to a children's home oh, as a thing. Or they would get in fights in front of me and then the mom would just turn to me in the middle of the fight. Tell her, Dennis. Tell her. Oh, like, wow. Like try to... Like, try to get me over, uh, yeah. That's, yeah, that's awkward. Yeah, and it, yes. Yeah, Yeah, well, and you do get the sense here that that Agnes would probably have no problem doing something very similar. Um, Because, yeah, she, you know, immediately kind of launches into the investigation of where Michelle has been. Mm -hmm. And Michelle does, you know, lies to her, says that she was out with studying with her friends, uh, and then Agnes calls her on it because she's already talked to those people. So, you know, there's uh, all of a sudden there's this, okay, clearly there's not a lot of trust in this relationship, you know, uh, on, on either end. You know, Michelle doesn't trust that she would be okay with Michelle making her own decisions. And Agnes doesn't trust Michelle to make right choices. And, of course, Agnes launches into the guilt trip of, I'm just trying to make sure that you'll be able to take care of yourself. And that when your husband runs off on you and leaves you with a four-year-old and the mouth to feed, that you don't have It won't any- be just a concert, will it? Yeah. 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 And it's mm. just sort of like... Man, Agnes, you like you're basically just letting Michelle know that that she ruined your life. I hadn't thought about it that way. But that she's but but mm-hmm. that Agnes is doing all of this for Michelle. Mm-hmm. And it's just kind of like, man, that kind of oof. you live your life in fear, so you keep everybody else living in fear. And right, uh, the 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 line that ends the scene: a fool's dreams may be dreams, but they also belong to a fool. <laughs> I've never heard that expression outside of this episode yeah. of television. I'm, uh, I know. It's not, it's, oh, okay, okay. No, it's not something... If, if it's yeah, something yeah. I'm supposed to know, I've just never heard outside of... Yeah, I don't know. I, 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 it's not, I mean, it sounds like something that is out there maybe, but mm-hmm. I can't tell you where else. Yeah. yeah. So we kind of... I mean, so we... In this scene, we establish, like, the, like, not only is Michelle going to be strangled to death the next night, but we see, like, her day-to-day struggle of trying to go through nursing school, also trying to... Um, they never really establish whether or not uh, Andrew and Michelle's relationship is is romantic. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, th- th- there are also a lot of talks of, of Michelle having told her mom about Andrew, right? Just yet. So it's it's very heavily implied that that they are at the start of of a romantic relationship. Yeah, but it feels very very chaste right now, and very sort of you know that 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 clearly. Michelle adores Andrew, um, but even, you know, like when she says goodbye to him, she kisses him on the cheek, you know, things like that, um, and, uh, so, so you do get the idea that it's certainly towards the start of something, uh, of whatever it might be, but, um, that there's something very sort of pure about it, if mm-hmm. you will, you know, this isn't like some sort of advanced romantic relationship where, you know, they're making out in the backseat of a car or whatever, I don't know. Yes. Right? 
don't know why I said that. Anyway. Right. <laughs> uh, so, and, and, and this is what I was talking about earlier, because even though it's still very manipulative, Agnes does sort of shift her tone towards the end of the scene and becomes a little bit more sympathetic and about how, you know, she's wanting to provide and make sure that Michelle has a chance to go to nursing school and that she can take care of herself. And again, the way she gets there and, and, and even what she says in that moment feels a little manipulative still. It's, it's also kind of, uh, just, it's a nice shift away from, you know, the overbearing domineering mother that we got when Michelle walks in the door. Mm -hmm. But also at the same time, very manipulative. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Because, yeah, she even says, like, there'll be no Prince Charming to, you know, to take care of you or, yeah. or whatever. I'm going to smack you around, I'm going to smack you around, I'm going to smack you around. Here, come here. Come yeah. Here. Let me love you. Let right. Love you. Yep, exactly. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, yeah, uh, Al, Sam, one other thing we forgot to mention is Al is super excited that they are so close to... The uh, Beatles appearing on Ed Sullivan. Oh, yeah. They said he went out and got a long-haired wig yeah. or something that's... Yeah, yeah, to attract women the very next day. That's interesting. Um, and so... And now we get the shot to Central Park. Yes. Of our of our French woman walking Josephine and Napoleon. Mm -hmm. uh, and she gets strangled. And she gets strangled. Of course. And you would say, you know, you know, you talk about like, like those very 80s things, something just seems very 80s. It's just like, like that, that shot at yeah. the end of that scene of like seeing the, the, the rope come around her neck and like almost, almost not quite, but almost breaking the fourth wall and looking directly into the camera with her look of shock. Yeah. That is a very, yes. It's murder. She wrote, man. Uh, oh God. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Murder. Yeah. D yeah. That is a very 80s shot. Yeah. Um, and so this is the thing, watching this episode and watching this scene, getting the whole, like, other 80s motif with serial killers, it, like, what what really bugs me watching this is, like, Sam got there in plenty of time. Right. To save her. Yeah. Al got there in plenty of time to warn him. Right. And yet... She gets killed. Did Ziggy just not have the files? Like, well, like, I mean, you know, yeah, there's no, yeah, uh, and and so even on that, in the in the next day when we uh, going into the next scene where where Sam is out on the street and the yeah. girls are gathering because the, the Beatles are outside, right, right, uh, the Ed Sullivan Theater. Uh, or, I think that's a hotel. They're getting to their hotel. They're getting to the hotel. Yeah. That's it. Okay, uh, and, and he runs into. Pete again, and Pete goes, "Yeah, they got another girl. Yeah, last night." And Sam's just like, "Oh." Okay, right. and it, like the, the, it, it doesn't bug him like it will bug him in future episodes. Like when he when he thinks that he could have saved a life and he didn't have the information in time. Like he's like, oh okay, right, and it, it rolls over. And you know, it's an hour of television. You got like forty two minutes. You know, you can't sure. whatever. But also, like after watching the episode, like dwelling on it, it also occurred to me. And we were talking about this uh, earlier, is that in the seventies and eighties. There was like this bigger idea of a serial killer, and I was looking some yeah. stuff online, and I read some stuff ranging saying that there weren't near as many serial killers back in the eighties as we thought they were, and it was like right. kind of like this panic created by the media, sure, uh, somewhat similar to the satanic panic right. that happened satanic back in the night, panic the, that that happened back in the nineteen eighties with with Satan worshippers, right, right, right. Or I was also into Judas priests and playing their yeah. Dungeons and Dragons, yeah. Or I was also reading another article. Uh, earlier saying that like no there were actually there were more serial killers in the 70s and the 80s for yeah. some reason but it's hard to track because the FBI doesn't actually track those numbers yeah um 
so all of that is to say it's like I can justify this in my head. Like when writing this episode, I was like, oh, yeah, serial killers happen. Happen all the time. And, yeah, people just get uh, bumped off in the park. Uh, people just get bumped off in the park. Yeah. 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 But, it, well, and, the, you know, one of the things that's also kind of interesting and, in, in, again, nature of the television show, producing things, trying to just get things done and, and having uh, – you can imagine that if, you know, if you're a production designer on this particular program – there's so much work to do from episode to episode, you know, I mean, yeah, you're able to get away with cutting corners here or there and, you, you know, sure, there's probably a stock costume lot that you can go to and, you know, pull things from or whatever. But uh, for the most part to think that, okay, this week we're in 1960s New York, next week we're in 1959 Peoria, Illinois, you know, and, and having to change over all this stuff so quickly. But one of the things that is kind of missing if we're going to go a little further and steer further into that sort of serial killer 80s movie trope, it doesn't feel nearly as, like, gritty. Like, this does not feel like a, a, a gritty, you know, late 70s, mid-80s New York um, no, at this, all. No, this is very much a back lot. Right, right. <laughs> you walk a few more blocks, you're going to walk around the corner in a 1959 Peoria, Illinois. Exactly. And granted, I know that it's 1964 uh, and not, you know, 1980 or, or whatever. Sure. But but it, there is a certain sort of bit of grit, if you will, that's missing. Um, and, and the next scene uh, where he does, you know, the, the girl faints and he catches her because the Beatles are there because she touches Ringo and she's so excited. That is so perfectly exactly what you just said about the back lot. That is... Like even sort of the crane shot that that shows the car pull up and everything. If they if they went back just a little bit further, you were going to see like plywood and mm. you, you know you're going to be like it's just like it is so absolutely you know the back lot. But um, I mean that said, it still looks good and it's not. I mean, I'm not, I'm not sure. knocking you know the production values at all. Um, just we know intellectually in our heads, it's like it's like oh, okay, I know I know where you are mm-hmm. um, and. Uh, uh, and that scene in particular, it, it, it's, it, you know, it's a little bit more overt than what we were getting earlier when they were talking about the Beatles, uh, but it still doesn't feel quite as in your face as some of the other like kisses with history that we've had. Like, sure. Like Buddy Holly, you know? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. This is the, yeah, he's not there to influence the Beatles or anything. It's yeah. Just, it's just in the back. Yeah, Although it is funny because I think Matt writes in his book, uh, you know, this is, a, I'm not spoiling anything, but later in the episode, Sam will be calling for Michelle as the Beatles are like coming out of the theater or whatever, and he... <laughs> He kind of theorizes in his book. It's like, is this where the Beatles got the idea for the song, Michelle? Ah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> which is just kind of funny. It's like, it's like. I mean, I don't think that that's at all the intent or whatever. But it's. Like, I don't it's think little... so because Quantum Leap is not the most subtle show sometimes, right? And if it was, yes, <laughs> if they were trying to hint that, I think they would have, right? They would have driven that home a little Ste- bit. More. Yeah, they would have steered harder into that. Yeah, but anyway, so in this scene, um, Pete establishes yes. that another girl was 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 killed and. And Sam park last night. that his horse smells. Yeah. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and it's also interesting to note that Pete makes a, a reference like he just doesn't understand women. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because he... Yes. It, 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 I can't remember exactly what he says. I can't remember what he says, but he's like he makes some comment like, I, I just don't understand women or, or something. Yeah, why would they go walking through the park or something like that? Yeah. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, oh, Pete. Oh, Pete. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, and he makes a joke about how Chopin saved him. He, like, he doesn't say anything about saving him from getting hit by the car. He says he saved him from getting a, a ticket jay- for jaywalking. A jaywalking ticket. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> like, oh, Pete. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> um, and then we get uh, Sam and Michelle in the diner, and it's a sweet little scene. Uh, it, it, 
and, and it's, again, there's a certain subtlety about the episode, at least compared to others, that I really appreciate in some of these moments, because there's no overt moment, at least not yet, uh, of Sam, like, telling Michelle, like, you know, you need to follow your dreams, or you need to be your own person, or you need to, like, there's no, it's interesting, because there's not that kind of, like, hell with your mother, you go out there and live your life and do mm-hmm. your own thing. It's, it's, it's just a little bit more subtle and, and uh, more restrained, which I appreciate. But to say, because watching this scene, we're talking about a couple weeks ago when you were talking about like, the Americanization of Machiko. Like, yes. Like how that episode was kind of happening to Sam. Like I feel like in this scene, it's like he kind of, even though he knows he's there to save Michelle from being strangled that night, right. like just from this conversation, like he picks up like, that Michelle's mom is kind of controlling yeah. and without like being told like this is what he's there to do and without like this this dramatic voiceover of Sam realizing the thing that he's there to do or, mm-hmm. or, or whatever it's not heavy handed he's just like oh this this sounds like maybe something I should yeah maybe it's address well just yeah. like it's like, it's like we talked about before you know, Sam's a good guy and mm-hmm. when he and when he and when he kind of hears this and picks up on it you know there's that element of just sort of like hmm you know like you're saying like I, I can I can help her because um, this is the first time because like in, we, we skipped over but in the earlier scene of, mm-hmm. of her walking him home yeah. there was another reference of like it's just not basically it's not the right time to meet my mom yet yeah right right so in this scene it coming up again like Sam starts to pick up like maybe there's a reason there. yeah well yeah and that's the thing is that she you know she says enough or, or acts in enough of a way that, that Sam's just kind of like she doesn't. She doesn't actually want to be a nurse. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also that great moment with the mustard. Yeah, there are a couple. Yeah, <laughs> the, with, with with the mustard, and then he compliments Michelle on her smile. Yeah, he's not very good at being blind. No, no, he is not. Uh, and um, you know, he's he's able to, for the most part, cover it very, very well. The smile one is a little cheesy. I mean, mm. it's fine. I, I'm not I'm not criticizing it. But it's just it's funny because he's like I I can tell by your laugh that you have a good smile. It's like that doesn't make any sense. That, that, like yeah. the mustard thing. Like I couldn't smell the mustard. It's like okay, yeah, sure, I get mm. that. Michelle uh, even says something about like, oh wow, wouldn't it be wonderful to have such a strong sense of smell? Mm. And the waitress has a line about like, not with my husband's feet. feet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, um, but Michelle has to take off. When she leaves, we find out that Agnes has been following her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, Agnes. Yeah. Oh, and then we Agnes. and then we get back to Andrew slash Sam's home mm-hmm. and Al is there and greets him. We get this moment of, of Al antagonizing Chopin, saying yeah. your mother's afraid of cats and Chopin Jumps attacking him. him. Like, how many seeing eye dogs just randomly attack? Right. And not just like bark, but like actually like a, make a running like leap. Yeah. Yeah. I get uh, it. I get he made a leap and it I, was I'm just gonna, I'm, just, I'm just going to show myself uh, <laughs> Sam will host the rest of this episode. Um, uh, yeah, but yeah, we get, we get the nice hologram effect. Yeah. Uh, which I, I think, realistically, it's like that moment halfway through the episode, hey, in case you're just tuning in and you've never seen this episode of television before, this guy is not really there. Here, yeah, here, right. Here's an effect to show you that... And it, it's done in a fun way, though, too. Mm-hmm. Like, I love, I, you know, I love Al's just, like, antagonizing the dog. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it, it, yeah, it's mm-hmm. not one of those... It didn't feel, it didn't feel terribly out of place. And it For sure, yeah. Yeah, and, and, but you're right. It is sort of just like, this guy, you know... Yes. But it also establishes that Chopin can be aggressive when need be. That's also, yes. And that will come back into play. economy of storytelling. Yes, that will come back into play (laughs) later on. Um, Later on in the story. 
And so Chopin is hungry, and uh, Sam has to feed the dog. Mm-hmm. And when he Barco bites, yeah, which I meant to look up, and I never did look up if Barco bites was actually a, an existing brand uh, of dog food back in the day. I mean, it would kind of go along, I suppose, with. All of the other um, little references that get dropped here and there about a certain thing, um, a certain item, if you will, like Burma shave or mm-hmm. something else. Um, yeah, I can't find it. I can. Yeah, I can't find anything. Uh, I, I found a great Barco dog food, but anyway. Um, so the important part is, yes, is that Sam is here. reading. Uh, I think apparently with his apartment door wide open. Yeah. Apparently. Why was his door open? Uh, because that's what made the plot of the episode yeah, work. Right. Right. Uh, so he's just reading with the door open, and so he's he's reading the the box of dog food to Chopin, and Agnes walks in and catches the yeah. blind man reading. Yep. And, and then she says, "Well, that's a neat trick: a blind man reading a dog food." Yeah. Box. And, 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 you know, he's like, why didn't you say something to Al? And Al's like, I did. And, yeah. And, and she's like, like, yeah, I did. Yeah. yeah that's double, one of those great double-sided conversations. Yeah. And so from this we get, like, she's like, I don't know what your scheme is. I don't care. Stay away from my yeah. daughter. Or I will tell the world. Or I will ruin you. And they don't, like, they don't beat you over the head with this. But in, in this version of reality, Andrew Ross is supposedly, he's, he's someone who is actually very famous yeah. and is well-known. He's the Ray Charles of classical music. music. So, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, this could, this could ruin him. Absolutely. To, Absolutely. To be outed in such a way. And, you know, it's one of the things that is interesting about it is I feel like Sam, he, and they don't, again, they don't belabor it, but it does, Sam realizes what this could do. You know, we've, we've talked before about how sometimes Sam will do something when he's in someone else's life and and it almost seems like without any regard to what's going to happen once he leaps out mm-hmm. whereas this he feel the weight of it lands a little bit more on him mm-hmm. and and it's not i you know i think part of it sure is just like oh i want to keep andrew and michelle together sure fine but i think that beyond that uh there's this element of like oh man i could have just ruined this guy's life by getting careless mm-hmm. uh, and I think which is it, nice. I think if they, if they were less subtle and I think uh, with the way the writing of the show evolved through throughout the series I think if this had come later in the series like we would have had Al in the background like consulting the handmaid yeah. going no 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 if this happens There's an 82% a, chance yeah, 82% Andrew yeah. that Andrew's gonna yeah yeah. Um, and then so from there, I think we're like we're getting like right into the concert. We are, yeah, because this Sam episode has, just moves. It really does. Right on. It's a, it's a, it, you know, and, and obviously we'll give our summations later. But mm-hmm. uh, it's a good episode. It really is. It is. I, I feel like this is the first just straightforward regular episode. Uh, we learn a little bit about Sam, hearing a little bit about right. his background. Right. But other than that, like there's there's no like mythology. There's no deep background in the characters. It's not a special episode. Right. There's not a gimmick. This is just a very simple. This is a very simple hour of yeah television. Well, and one of the things that's interesting too, and I can't remember honestly. Uh, I can't remember if it's in Matt Dale's book or if it was uh, something that I read online. But I, one of the comments that I did read is that there was an appreciation for the fact that it doesn't try to be like a message episode about the blind guy, mm-hmm. you know, and in a way that makes even more of a statement that this guy lives a, a normal life, you know, that it's not that, that his impaired vision is not some sort of, 
uh, uh, hurdle to overcome. Mm-hmm. It just so happens that you know that that's that that that's who he is. That's his thing. Uh, yeah, and, and so that's that's kind of nice and makes a statement in and of mm-hmm. itself that they're not trying to make a statement with it. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, he's getting ready for the concert. He yeah. apologizes to the mirror and image. <laughs> so so now here now yeah, here is my beef with this episode. It Uh-oh. is a, it is here a very simple hour of television. Yes. But not a special hour. It's not a special. Yeah, yeah. It's a simple. Hour. Yeah, it's, it's it's a simple hour of television. But the thing is, Sam has to play this concert, and he may very well, you know, ruin Andrew's career. But why? It's it's very. I mean, it's established that Andrew Ross has a very well established reputation. Mm-hmm. There's no information from Al or Ziggy saying that if he doesn't play this particular concert, something drastic is going to happen to him right. or if he falls on not it falls on his face metaphorically right if that something is going to happen to him so like watching this episode this time i was sort of like why does sam have to play this concert and so i played this little sure. game and i don't want to turn this into a regular segment because I, I just i'm not a fan of like regular you know, segments as part of a podcast yeah. or whatever. But like, if I were Sam in this episode, how I would go about saving Michelle without the podcast is I would just get sick, mm-hmm. and I would cancel the concert, and I would ask her to come over and make me take soup. make me soup <laughs> and and take care of me, yeah, and just keep her there throughout the night so that she doesn't get. Strangled in Central Park. Dirty dog. Now that that is just (laughs) now. I mean, like that means like the serial killer is still out there, right? But you know, Sam wasn't doing much detective work throughout the day to try to find the serial killer in advance, anyway. So I guess his plan was like to get through the concert and then just hang on to Michelle so she doesn't, yeah, get away. So so just don't don't play the concert and have her stay with you. Problem solved. That, yeah. Well, and I think that, I, I think sort of piggyback on that, that one of the, you know, if I am to point out a flaw, and they, I mean, it's a good, like I said, it's a good episode, but it mm-hmm. does have a few flaws, that probably the biggest flaw, and you mentioned this earlier, is the fact that there have been four, at this point, murders that we're aware of. Mm-hmm. A- and you're right, there doesn't seem to be, like, Sam is not... I have to find out who the killer is or I have to do something to, you know, to act on this. It's his focus is purely on playing the concert and saving Michelle. Mm. And that's fine because that's his mission. But it does seem interesting that we don't get like a scene of Sam pouring over the newspapers, for instance. Like, you know what I mean? Like, again, if we're going to do this, what if? What if instead of catching him reading the box of dog food, Agnes had caught him reading the newspapers trying to figure out clues about the serial killer. I feel like something like that would have kind of just brought us a little bit closer to, you know, to, to sort of that, this is what Sam would do if he were in this situation. Yeah. And then you can get this whole thing of Agnes going like, why are you reading about the serial killer? Are you the serial killer? Uh, Then, then we go down this, we go down this whole other. Absolutely. And now she's got to protect her daughter from the serial killer. Yeah. The blind man who's not really blind. He's out there strangling girls in the park. Oh, Totally different story. That would have. <laughs> let's let's do a fanfic. Yeah, right. Episode. There we go. Um, uh, but, but but again, to to me, like the way I reason through that, like like from a writing perspective, is like this episode takes place in the 1960s, but when it was written in the 1980s, 
I feel like there was just kind of this like this thing in pop culture, like yeah, people get killed by serial killers all the time, and it just happens. It's kind of like that 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 thing they hear all the time. Like when I was a kid, I thought quicksand was going to be much more of a problem than, than what it actually is. <laughs> yes, it's just like you know, like in the nineteen eighties, we just like yeah, getting killed by a serial killer that. Right. That happens. And there's also, and, and, and look, there's probably also an element of like, what is Sam going to do? You know, what what could he do? For sure. I mean, and, it, it, yeah, and to, and to expand further beyond that, like, just like beyond the serial killer thing, like, when Sam leaps into a small southern town, which he does a lot of right. throughout the series, that's one thing. But you're leaping to New York City. Yeah. If, if he wanted to get, like, really overzealous and save the world, like, he could, like, he could get out, like, tell me every bad thing that's going to happen within a two-mile radius right. over the next 12 hours. <laughs> okay, this is such a weird tangent, but that just made me think of the Spider-Man 2 video game for, like, the Xbox and PlayStation years ago. So, um, there were a couple of Spider-Man video games that came out, but Spider-Man 2, which was sort of based on the film, uh, was probably one of the finest. And one of the things that made the game so great is it was open-world New York. You could literally, like, web-swing from one end of New York to the other. And as you would go along, like, there would be random crimes that would happen, like a purse snatcher here or a bank robbery here, and you could choose to stop these, and you'd, like, earn points or whatever. Mm. Uh, and so it just, in my brain, all of a sudden, all I could think of is, like, Sam going through New York, like, in this game, like, just mm. stopping every little crime. Yeah. <laughs> like, handing an old lady back her purse. If he and, wanted you know. to get over the, yeah. Right. Right. I wasn't thinking. I was like, you know, I was thinking more like Superman. But yeah, well, sure, Superman. Yeah. You know, oh, if only we could get a good Superman video game. Can't. I, anyway. Uh, anyway, <laughs> but Sam has to play the concert, right? Um, and he so Michelle comes in, helps him with his tie, which mm-hmm. is a, a cute little moment. Um, and and this is this is when Sam does kind of start to empower Michelle. But again, it doesn't feel it, it, it. It's a it's a wonderful scene because it feels about her, not about Sam trying to save her, which I really enjoyed because we learn a little bit more about the nature of the relationship with her mother. And even though I don't think it would be a leap huh, for anyone to Noteworthy. surmise surmise this anyway, but she talks about how you know her mother tells her she's not pretty enough or talented enough or you know, these sorts of things. And you know, and Sam's trying to reassure her that she can do this and that you know. Yes, while she owes her mother her love, she doesn't know her her life. And it's a nice little uh, uh, moment there before Sam has to go and and now play. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Um, and I don't know if we meet him now or if we meet him in the middle of the concert, but this is... Uh, yeah! Noteworthy. I'm going to keep coming back to it. Uh, this is in uh, Matt Dale's book. Uh, I know what you're going to say. Yeah, Sloan Fisher. Yeah. The stagehand was the, was the reflection in how the test was won. Yeah. And what's interesting is, I, I think there's like, I don't know if they ever show a shot of Scott Bakula standing next to Sloan Fisher, but even just standing next to uh, to, to to Agnes and yeah. Michelle, it's very clear that he is a shorter, yep. he is a shorter man, obviously probably a lot shorter than Scott Bakula, and it's like interesting. He had a good like head. Like, yeah. Yeah. But in how the test was won, they have him up on the... Yeah, on the same level. It's but. interesting here too because I feel like in how the test was won, he had a little bit more hair. 
Or they don't show it because he's wearing a hat, hat and he does Yeah. But, uh, anyway. But yeah, but anyway, so. Oh, but so, there is this great moment. The reason why we meet him, which is, is lovely, is that Agnes is smoking backstage. Mm-hmm. And he, like, comes and he's like, you have to put out your cigarette. And she's, like, all shitty with him. And it's like, you know, I'm not going to put out my cigarette. I don't have to do what you tell me to do or whatever. And finally, I, mean, I don't think she. I, I think that, like, the, the, like, the really shitty thing is she doesn't even say anything she just ignores just, him yeah yeah but then when she does finally decide to put it out because michelle kind of she like just throws it on the floor mm-hmm. and it's I, and i can't put my finger on it i can't explain why it is but again to me that just seems like a very 80s thing yeah oh yeah well and and it's interesting because this is also something from matt dale's book uh but apparently the uh the actress uh, janice rhodes who plays agnes uh she um uh, Jennifer Rhodes, excuse me. Uh, she used to smoke, like prior to this episode, but she had quit smoking, and so she was. She felt as though she was a bad television smoker. Like she, did, she felt it didn't look right that she wasn't inhaling because she'd quit smoking and all this mm-hmm. sort of stuff. And I just, I thought that was funny because I, you know, I, I quit smoking. Um, years and years and years ago. Now it's probably been about like ten years or so. Um, not that I ever did it regularly or very long, but, uh, I, I have had to smoke like on stage or, or, uh, in a film that I was in a couple of years ago. And, uh, yeah, I just, I, I didn't need, I just did it. You know what I mean? I, it was, I was like, yeah, I'm, you know, whatever, fine. It's, uh, this isn't going to make me go out and buy a pack mm-hmm. tomorrow. That's interesting. Uh, coming up on 10 years ago, nine years ago, yeah. I was, uh, I'm a very adamant non-smoker mm-hmm. because, uh, Smoking did not kill my parents, mm-hmm. but they were in the getaway car. Smoking mm-hmm. was in the getaway car, mm-hmm. if, the, if that metaphor works. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but uh, a few months after my uh, mom passed away, I was in a show. It was like a short play festival. I, I was in a, like a 10-minute piece yeah. where I, just, I decided this character smokes. And even though by that point you weren't supposed to smoke in Chicago theaters, yeah, yeah, the yeah. director and the producer, he didn't care. Like, we were, like, in a small studio space, like, in Ravenswood. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was like, yeah, if you want to smoke. So for, like, two months, I smoked. Yeah. Like, I, 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 I bought cigarettes. I walked down the street smoking. I went out for smoke breaks. Um, and I'm sure it, it was a weird coping mechanism in the wake of, of, sure. of my mom passing away but yeah i just became a, a smoker for a couple months and then and then once the show was over with i stopped well sorry no, no because it, and it, it gave me insight more into smokers like oh that's smoke smoke breaks or just like you get more built-in breaks yeah in the day and well, i totally got it but then yeah i totally dropped it once that show was done yeah and it's definitely something i mean the the, the social aspect of it especially like as an actor and i i feel as though nowadays the vast majority of actors I know don't smoke. But I would say that 10 years ago, that was not the case at all. Because one of the first like jobs I had at school, uh, I didn't smoke at the time. But the almost the entire rest of the cast did. And so whenever we were on a break in rehearsal or an intermission or whatever, they all would go outside and I would be left like alone in the dressing room. And so I was like, well, I'm going to start going outside with them. And I would go outside and I wouldn't smoke. And then one day I was just sort of like, hey, um, I mean, I, it's not like I've never smoked a cigarette before and I'll bum one from somebody or whatever, you know? And then three years later, it was like, <laughs> I'm not going to do this anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but the last two times that I have done it, 
I've actually the in the film that I was in, they were herbal cigarettes, uh, which was which was weird. They they, they don't taste good. I'll tell you that much. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the time before that, when I was on stage, they were actually uh, cloves um, uh, okay. because the director had this uh, this thought that he wanted the cigarettes to be black instead of you know your regular white cigarettes, and so he decided to get cloves. So the cigarettes were all these like blacks, kind of stylized, you know, production or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't supposed to be that I was smoking a clove cigarette. It was supposed to be that I was smoking a cigarette. It was just that the cigarettes were black. Mm-hmm. And it made a lot more sense when he explained it. But anyway, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's just interesting to me that that, that uh, Agnes is, is here smoking in pretty much every scene she's in, mm-hmm. and that uh, and that Jennifer Rhodes had, had quit smoking and felt that she did a poor job of smoking on screen. <laughs> mm-hmm. because, one, I didn't notice it until, yeah, I read the same thing yeah. in Matt's book. And two, it's... Uh, Yes, the smoking comes in later towards the end of the episode because I was trying like, why? Why did we even need that as a plot element? But it, it, it yeah, it, that's it, right. It, it comes later yeah. on. Yeah. So, uh, but before we even get to this scene, mm-hmm. Sam, I think Sam right. starts the concert. Yeah, yep, he goes out right, because he Al. doesn't. Yeah, he's about to start playing chopsticks. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I love the line earlier that we that we uh, that we skimmed over because earlier in the episode, like Alice or Sam's like, don't worry, tomorrow night you're going to give a great concert. Yeah. And Sam's like, you're a concert pianist, and I love his line. I couldn't play chopsticks in Chinatown. Yeah. Oh God! Just the alliteration. I don't yeah, know. I just love that line. Uh, so Sam goes out to start the concert, and you like he's putting his fingers together, like he's about. <laughs> you're gonna go back to that well, yeah, once again. I don't think this audience is gonna, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then Al shows up, says you can do better than chopsticks, and he pulls out. He's got a music stand for with your it. eyes only. Yeah, yeah, we get this nice little bit where he takes the hand away and, and then, it disappears. I think this is the first time in the series that we establish. Uh, I think and, and right. actually, I, I think it's it, this is kind of in contradiction because in Starcrossed, Al gets dragged out of the imaging chamber, right? And we don't see them. Uh, oh no! Wait a minute. I, I can go back and I can justify that because when he's getting dragged out of the imaging chamber, nobody dragging him out is actually touching Al's skin. Okay, that's what I, I thought. That's what you would say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, uh, yeah, that's true. But in, yes, but in this case, like he's actually he's touching the music stand with his hand, and yeah, that's why with the, his fingers, yeah. Yeah. Well, and 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 we will see later, without going into too much detail, that he is like he has to hold someone's hand, like skin, in order mm-hmm. for them to show up. For so, them to be seen. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's a, it's a nice little moment, and and, and Sam's like, I can't play this, mm-hmm. and, and I was like, of course you can. And I just love. There's something about Stockwell in this episode where like. All of these sort of moments that Sam's freaking out about, he's mm-hmm. so nonchalant about. It. He's like, "You got, you, of course you could do this." Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, like, what are you talking about? For sure. And also, <laughs> yeah, and we'll come to a moment later on. I also think that comes from just a necessity from the writings. Like, we we don't have a lot of time for for Al to learn how to play a concert and do all this other stuff. And so when you see this reassurance, like, no, you're gonna be fine. Yeah. Here you go. Just start. Yeah, and he does, and that's when Al, you know, drops the 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 line about how Sam played Carnegie Hall when he was 19 years old. That's, yeah. W- yes. Yeah. That's, that's a really interesting info drop. It is. Compared like what would come later on this, yeah. Yeah. The, the mini lives of Sam Beckett. Right, right. It, yeah, it, it, and it's definitely not something that I have a problem with. Uh, but certainly by by the beginning of the third season in particular it does make me wonder about a couple of things and it's just kind of like okay you know sure maybe he did this but he was just an indiana farm boy and how do you squeeze all of this yeah this in all his doctorates and yes of course he's supposed to be this mm-hmm. genius but you know 
Anyway. Um, anyway. It's whatever. He's a hero that, of our TV show. Yeah, yeah. He's a hero. He can yeah, do yeah, anything. Yeah. The, man, I, yeah, yeah. the man can do anything. I have a theory. Yeah, <laughs> it goes on a huge tangent. We'll squeeze it in some other time. All right. I'll uh, forward to it. Maybe off mic. Uh, but anyway, so while he's out playing the concert, this conversation that we just talked about is going on between, between the stagehand, Michelle, yes. and Agnes. And this is when Agnes drops. He's not blind. I saw him reading... I don't know if she goes into detail, but he's not blind. Like your right. your your boyfriend is a scam. And uh, and he one one quick thought too here that I, that that I think is very funny is that all of the older adults in New York City are in Carnegie Hall, but all the teenage girls are down the street at the Beatles Hotel. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, there's no yeah. There's no young people in the audience for Sam's uh, concert. They, oh yeah, yeah, they're all yeah, yeah. they're all. Um, but he finishes, it's a smash, everything's great. He goes off stage. As he as he gets off stage, he immediately says, you know, something about Agnes being mm-hmm. there. And Michelle is like, you know, it is true, you can't, you, you see, can't see, and, and she runs fraud. off in tears. Yeah. Uh, and of course at that moment it's like, Oh great. Yeah. She just ran off and she's sure. gonna and, die. And and as she runs off and as Sam chases after her, Agnes lights another cigarette. Yes, she does. In the wings. My work here is done. Oh, mama. Uh, <laughs> meanwhile, Al is is bowing and uh, and, and and yes, and, and waving at the the pretty woman in the audience. Mm-hmm. There's a blonde in the audience that he keeps waving and blowing kisses to. Absolutely. Uh, and um, then so. Uh, Speaking of the Beatles and all the young teenage girls, mm-hmm. Sam is kind of caught in, in a bit of a fracas with all of the, the the throng of people trying to see the Beatles, and he drops his glasses, mm-hmm. bends down to pick them mm-hmm. up, and when he turns around, yeah. a flash bulb goes off right in his eyes. He gets totally Raymond Bird and rear window. That's right. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> nice. Look that reference up, kids. Yes, do, do. <laughs> yeah. It's it's a, a phenomenal film. Yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah, and, and so now he can't see for real. Mm-hmm. Um, and he has to go and save Michelle. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, of course, Michelle is running through the park, and there's serial killer music playing, um, even mm-hmm. down to aping, like, the Friday the 13th, like... Oh, it does, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then, and, then in, and this is another one of those moments that I mentioned at the top of the show about just, like cheese-tastic stuff that we didn't need, but we got because it was a television show that was produced in 1989. There's a full-on lengthy shot of a man in a black ski mask dressed in black just yes. standing at the top yes. of the stairs. That was, yeah, the, like the 1980s serial killer motif. And not just the shot, but then of him like pulling, pulling out the, yep. the black rope or string or whatever and yeah, making his intentions known, and then running after her, and of course catching her and tussling mm-hmm. to the ground, and then he starts to strangle her. And uh, I have to say, one thing that I really appreciate though is I appreciated Michelle's like ingenuity. Well, yeah, but she's not just some sort of like, oh, I'm I'm a small girl who's been tackled by this man, and I'm just going to give up and die now. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, not that anyone would do that in real life, but I feel like there's so many of these types of films out there, or television mm-hmm. programs out there, where that's what happens. Mm-hmm. And instead, she fights back. You know, she gets her uh, nail file, yeah, and, and stabs him in and the back, stabs him in the back, and then runs a, off. A tangent as far as strangling goes. Um, it takes about seven minutes to actually strangle someone to death. 
how do I know this? <laughs> uh, this was a show that you saw that I was in a couple years ago. Oh, yeah. Um, not, not to offend anyone, but the, the title of the show was called Angry Fags. Uh, I won't go into into what the show is about. It, it's a very noteworthy show written by uh, Topher Payne. It was part of the Stephen Wolf uh, Garage series uh, a couple years ago here in Chicago. Yeah. Uh, my college Good buddy, show. Jacob York, he was in the world premiere of it in Atlanta. Oh, nice. When it debuted uh, a couple years before that. But anyway, there is a scene where uh, it, it's, a, it's a very difficult scene to watch, but uh, one of the characters is strangled to death. Yeah. Um, and so that that became a discussion like one day during rehearsal like how long does it actually take to like actually not just like uh, no she's not strangled she's smothered to death but it's still I think it's like the same principle of, of like cutting off the air right uh, and it, it takes significantly longer than what they show yeah in entertainment yeah and uh, so yeah we're sitting around rehearsal I, I pulled out my phone I googled how long does it take to smother someone yeah, I'm on a watch list now. Somewhere. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, <laughs> you just you pinged some database, so they're like, oh well. That I'm one of, and it became uh, noteworthy. Oh boy, to go back uh, because somebody who came to see the show, they actually thought that that character had not died because uh, it because it took them so little time to smother to, them to death on stage. Yeah. They thought that they had just knocked her out and then a twist at the end of the play. Because there's a lot of twists that comes at the end of this play. Yeah, yeah. They thought a twist at the end of the play was going to be that she hadn't actually died. She's still alive, yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I thought she was dead, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, so anyway, so Michelle stabs the, the guy in the back with the nail file, gets away, and so we get some shots of, of Sam making his way with Chopin, with Al. Yes. Um, and... Um and then it's at this point we get what I would argue is the worst moment of the episode. And just and, and just when I saw I'm gonna it, argue it's the best moment of the episode. Oh, and then man. and then I'll tell you why. All so right. so go ahead. What So so Michelle runs up and finds Pete and is so relieved that Pete is there, the cop to save her, mm-hmm. throws her arms around him, and then the and then there's something wrong. There's wait, she pulls her hand away, it's covered in blood, she realizes Pete is the strangler. Mm-hmm. Why? Why? Mm-hmm. So first off, I'm going to jump back and say a, a few minutes before this, when Betsy and I were watching the episode together, yeah, uh, I turned her and was like, "So who do you think the killer is?" And she thought about it and she she was like, "Literally, the only other character in this episode is the cop." Yeah. <laughs> so it's like if you're paying halfway attention, like unless they just introduce a character out of nowhere, which is which is which is what I think I would have preferred, honestly. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, if, if it's going to be a character that you've already met, the only other character you have besides yeah. Agnes, right, <laughs> or the, or the stagehand, yeah, the stagehand, yeah, 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 or a real a great twist could have been is that she goes into the park and nothing happens. That's yeah, nothing happens at all, and then you find out that Andrew Ross is a serial. Oh no. <laughs> How's he doing it blind? Chopin. That's right, Chopin. He's using his dog to yeah. creep up behind people. And, oh uh, but, but anyway, uh, this this episode, this scene, the the very like of her like hugging him and pulling her hand back. Yeah. Blood. In college, me and my friends did a, a like a short twenty minute horror movie. Okay. Uh, some of some of us, not all of us, some of us were doing like an independent study that got approved like about horror movies. So part of the oh, project nice. was like shooting a horror movie. I'm not even sure if the people who edited it had a, like actual like video editing equipment or it was all done in VCRs. Sure. I'm 
I'm not sure. It was that bad. Yeah, yeah. But um, I jumped in later on in the process, and I helped write some of it, and I totally aped this yeah. scene, this gimmick, and we used it in the movie. Sure. Uh, we were up in the theater, on the catwalk, and, uh, yeah, someone's fiddling with the spotlight, she gets chased... She is able to, to stab the killer in the back, and then she runs away. She runs into me, yeah. my character. She hugs me, pulls a hand away, blood, and then I kill her. You. Totally, totally ate the scene. <laughs> anyway, but yeah, this is a, that is a very 80s cast yeah. scene. Yeah, and it's just sort of like, okay, fine, I'll yeah. go with it, whatever. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I will say that if you look back at the episode... The, from the very beginning, there is that huge clue, basically, of, you know, Fifi leaves with her two dogs to go, that's just the name of it, for, mm-hmm. leaves with her two dogs to go walk them in the park. Immediately after that, Pete goes out. leaving and goes out, too. You know, so it's like, right there, it's like, okay, mm-hmm. I get it. Um, but then, uh, during the tussle, Sam does show up, and Chopin, Chopin really saves the day. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, gets, gets on uh, Pete and starts biting into him, um... Pete has dropped his handcuffs because mm. I guess he still has those with him. Sure. Uh, and and Al is encouraging him to go get the handcuffs so he can cuff yeah. Pete. This is, this is, uh, I haven't watched this episode in a while. It is such a weird, awkward scene. Like I get that Chopin has Pete down. Yes, right. It still seems a little bit of a stretch that he's able to subdue him enough to not get away so that fumbling blind Sam can actually get the handcuffs and yeah. get... Yeah. Right. Anyway. Right. Anyway. And we never actually see him cuff Pete, right? Like, he gets the cuffs, he goes over to Pete, and then we cut almost immediately away to, like, the cops pulling uh, I, 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 I think away. I think they show him, but there's, like, there's no, like, close-up. Yeah. It's just, like, from a, from a long, like, master shot, like, you see him putting the, putting the handcuffs off. And then, we, yeah, we, we cut away to and, him and getting course, handcuffed, and Pete makes some line, like, I gotta take care of the I'm girls I'm trying to take want. care of the, yeah. 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 Uh, and Agnes shows up and is berating Sam for putting Michelle in harm's way because it's all his fault. Um, in the meantime, which is, again, kind of cool, and that sort of like economy of storytelling, we don't get the actual scene of it happen, but Michelle relates to Agnes that Sam explained away being able to tell that it was Agnes by smelling her perfume. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is the moment you were talking about where Agnes goes to light... Uh, to prove it, yeah, and she and she throws the match in Sam's face, and but because Sam Sam's is, still kind of blinded by the the flash bulbs, he can't he mm-hmm. can't see it, so he doesn't react. And Agnes immediately is like, "Oh, I'm, I'm you know, I got I got I got to say this, yeah. If I'm weighing throwing a match in someone's face suddenly and them not reacting, versus literally watching them <laughs> read a dog food box, <laughs> I'm going to give weight to literally reading a dog food box." You know, but anyway, let's call it economy of storytelling. Yes, you see what you want to see, mm-hmm. or not. But yeah, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And then we get this. Uh, see, we're wrapping up where basically, yeah, Sam and Michelle encourage uh, Agnes to let Michelle live her own life, which is really nice because one of the things that I I, I really enjoyed um, is that there's the twist here is that it becomes just as much about kind of saving Agnes as it does about having mm-hmm. saved Michelle. And it's really nice. And again, this is what I was talking about earlier with Jennifer Rhodes and the work that she does here. I feel like that moment of her being like, you know, my life's not over. I can do, live a life. I can go do these things. It's, 
it just plays really well, and I liked it, and it didn't feel so like. Yeah, five minutes ago, I was like, oh god, she's a terrible human being, but not to the point where, not to the point where I'm, I would, I'm writing off this this change. Mm-hmm. You know, it was sort of like, okay, good for you, Agnes. Yeah, go live your life. Mm-hmm. Now let Michelle live hers too. Um, so it was just kind of a nice moment, and I and I, and I liked it. Um, and and unfortunately, there's two things that I want to mention. One is before Sam gets to the park, actually, so this is going back a little bit, after he's been blinded by the flashbulb, he says, I can't see, I can't see, I can't see. Three times. And then, because it's 1980s television and we have to have a button line for the fucking commercial, he says, I may as well be blind. Turning and looking... Not quite cross-eyed, but, but yeah. kind of, yeah. And it's like... I was going to let that what? moment pass when we glossed over that earlier. Yeah. And then, and then, we get Al saying to Sam, well, you really opened her eyes. Mm-hmm. Ah. Now, luckily, Dean Stockwell's delivery is nice, because he even said, he says something to the effect of, like, that was really nice, Sam, really well done. Like, he's congratulating Sam yeah. on how, not only doing it but what how he did it mm-hmm. um but and then he throws in the really opened her eyes it's like ah, yeah. okay and before we get to the line if you really open her eyes to get back to the economy of storytelling sam's sight starts coming back oh yes and uh and i, I think it's one of those things like we don't have time to go to the hospital we don't have time for for sam to get treated or whatever and you know go through that awkward thing so dean stockwell has the little line you know like wonderful things the eyes the tears the cleansing agent yeah and it was like this beautiful just like how are we going to wrap this up in two minutes yeah right yeah. right and, yeah and it, you know it is interesting because uh and i don't know how i feel about it i, I really can't decide right now but the i mean sam clearly was very was going to be very very upset if his sight did not return mm-hmm. um to the point that he is literally on the verge of tears of joy over his sight returning. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I really, unfortunately, don't have anything more to say than that, but mm-hmm. it's an interesting moment and choice. It feels a little melodramatic. Yeah. I don't know if it's wrong. I don't know if it's the wrong choice or the bad choice. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess, there, I mean... Scott Bakula had to imbue it with some snakes, right? Some right. some fear that that you know his eyesight was going to come back. Uh, yeah. But even though like we this is eighties television, we're going to wrap the story up here. He's going to have his eyesight back. By oh yeah. The, by the time we get to the the good old Star Trek reset button. Ah uh, yeah. Boom. Yeah. Back to the end of the episode. Speaking uh, of which, that is where we are. Yeah. So uh, he leaps. We get this cute moment of like Chopin like actually sees the leap effect. Yeah. And starts. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, and then, and then, and then now he's and now a, he's a DJ. DJ. Uh, I'm trying to because uh, I I know when we get into the episode proper next week, it's actually Tutti Fruity playing. Is it is it Tutti Fruity playing oh, at the end of the episode? I can't remember because because no. sometimes like the music is it does yeah, a weird thing. I cannot. Yes, it is Tutti Fruity. It is Tutti Fruity playing because one of the things that's interesting about that is in the DVD version, they replaced the leap out in this episode with some random weird disco music. But the in actually Good Morning Peoria the episode it was still Tutti Fruity. Fruity, but yeah, so so and they restored that in the Blu-rays. Okay. Um, Speaking of which, actually, let's go ahead and just get to to this real quick. 
Um, we had some feedback recently when, uh, frequently, I, I think, more than twice anyway, uh, we have lamented, understanding though that financial reasons prohibited them from doing this, that there were no special features uh, on the Blu-rays, no behind-the-scenes documentaries, audio commentaries, etc., deleted scenes, whatever, and how obviously we would have loved that, that there would be those. An even more important missing feature on these Blu-rays, uh, and arguably one that is really incomprehensible in this day and age, is the lack of any sort of subtitles or closed captioning. Mm -hmm. uh, and this was something that was pointed out to us by... Uh, uh, one of our listeners, Dana, I apologize if we mispronounce your last name, Bias? Bias? B-I-U-S? Yes. Uh, bias. We'll go with that. Sure. I'm sorry, Dana. We're, we're terrible hosts. We should have asked you beforehand. beforehand. Anyway, uh, uh, but, but she, she wrote us and, and said, you know, thanks for like calling out Mill Creek, which is the, the company that put out the Blu-rays, yeah. uh, for, the, for the lack of extras. But she noted in particular uh, the lack of subtitles and captioning because as a hearing impaired fan such as she is, the Blu-rays are essentially useless to her because she can't enjoy the show. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, you know, she even went on further to say something about how it's, it's something oftentimes that uh, other people don't consider. You know, if it doesn't affect them, they're not thinking about it. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and obviously that's very true because it's something that we weren't thinking about. But we will say it's something we were both aware of. We did actually know that that was the case. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and I do think that, yeah, it is a little mystifying. Um, and, and, and again, I would, I would even go so far as to say inexcusable that that's not a feature that's included. And I know that there are other DVDs and Blu-rays out there that share that. Mm -hmm. um, and it's too bad. Uh, and, it, and it's definitely something that you want to say, yeah, do, do yeah. better. We put this episode out, we're going to tag Mill Creek. I'm sure they must have a Twitter account or something. Absolutely. We'll, we'll tag them. And, and I don't know if they have enough money for that. For it. <laughs> uh, but, but, but I, something, yeah, yeah. And I will say, you know, we are, without a doubt, we are grateful to have these Blu-rays as fans of the television show, in particular because the music has been restored, and, and clearly that was something that uh, was going to cost money and, and, and be difficult to navigate those waters, and one can only imagine how, I mean, there are certain television programs that we may just never get because of music rights and because, you know, up until about 15 years ago or so, it just wasn't even a consideration. When you, when you purchased rights for music for a television program, you never even thought about the fact that it would be on DVD or Blu-ray or streaming or whatever. Um, and there are some shows that are out there that will forever be incomplete. Roswell is a good example of that. You know, Roswell, the music has been almost wholly replaced. Now, the thing about that show, however, that's really cool is that the original music supervisors went and picked new music that they felt fit the scene by new bands. And the interesting thing about it is, is the entire time they were actually working on the show, that's what they did. They went out and they found new bands and they picked music that they were like, hey, this is a great way to use new music from, that people don't know that fits our, our show. And so while there are some exceptions of big songs missing from the show, there's other times when it's just sort of like, oh, okay, that's cool. Like, they used Coldplay before Coldplay was huge in the United States, you know what I mean? And, and they had to take some of that music out, but they went and they found another, like, young up-and-coming British band, and they're like, we'll use their music, and it mm -hmm. fits. And so sometimes it works. Sometimes it's an opportunity to kind of just, you know, get out there and do some more art. Mm -hmm. but, uh, but in other instances with a show like Ed, for instance, which I love that show, mm -hmm. we'll probably never see a DVD release of it because 
music rights, you know. Um, so all that said, I mean, we're very grateful that we have this, and, and Mill Creek, you know, clearly put some effort into it. It, if they would have had a little bit more faith, I think, in the way that these box sets have sold, a little bit more blind faith. Oh God! <laughs> <laughs> I think it's noteworthy. Yes, mention that. Yeah. If they had, yeah, if they had had a little bit more faith in the sales, perhaps they could have done a little bit more. Uh, but regardless, they should have included. Subtitles or closed captioning. Absolutely. Uh, and I and again, one of the things I will note uh, is that these Blu-rays have sold very well to the point that they have been sold out on Amazon at least twice that I'm aware. Oh, of. that's cool. In fact, it, when when they first came out, it was sold out on Amazon within like the first week of their release, oh, and and it sold out again. And it must be selling well enough to justify the fact that a lot of other you know. DVDs that come out, they usually slash prices on pretty quickly afterwards if they're not selling well. Like, sometimes up to 50% off. Mm-hmm. The Blu-rays are like 70 bucks right now. Um, and they've been they've been lower than that before, but it's like, there must be a demand for them if they're selling for like 60, 70 bucks and getting away with it and selling out on occasion. I'm taking a look here right now. Yeah, the entire series now on Amazon is 65 bucks. Yeah. Uh, if you want to get the entire series on DVD, it's 40 bucks now but the Blu-rays are nice you know and one and I will continue to say that one of the things that I noticed about uh, the this episode is uh, the second season just continues to look really good on Blu-ray which is nice mm-hmm. um, but yeah Blind Faith uh, it's a good episode it really is uh, I, you know I enjoyed watching it it clips by at a good pace there's some there's some good you know humorous moments in, in, in the show there's one that I feel is not intentionally humorous when we get the killer, not the reveal with, that's Pete, but the reveal of the masked serial killer in the park. Yes. It's like, yeah. <laughs> okay. But uh, are, yeah, you, you're misplaced. You're not in the 1960s. That's a 1980s right? thing. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I mean like I said before, so just like, put him in a hockey mask. <laughs> yes, or yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's like, it's, it's probably like the first, like, very, like, straightforward episode. Yeah. No, no gimmick, no special thing going on. Just. Right. Yeah. If if Angela Lansbury isn't around to solve a murder, then let's get Sam Beckett. Let's. Why not? I you know I would have I would have watched the murder she wrote Quantum Leap crossover. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that would have been. That would I I I had a friend I didn't know her very well but I met her through the improv scene when I first moved to Chicago. Uh huh. And uh, we bonded early on over her deep love of Quantum Leap. Nice. But when she was a kid, her parents allowed her to watch only an hour of television a week. Oh, wow. So she, wow. So she alternated between Quantum Leap and Murder, She Wrote. Wow. And then hopefully eventually she got to go back and watch. God, I hope she didn't alternate all the time. Was, I mean, Murder, She Wrote had some two-parters. Quantum Leap had some two-parters. Two-parters, yeah. yeah you'd miss out. Murder, She Wrote lasted for 11 oh, seasons. Oh, man. Yeah, it was on a long time. It was on, yeah. Hell, it was on all the way up. Because I remember that there was, uh, uh, it was they put it up against Friends at one point. Because CBS was kind of trying to kill the show off, but it was still popular enough, and then when they put it up against Friends, that's when it started to die. And in the final season, there's actually an episode where she goes to, like, she's on the set of a TV show that's being filmed that is a thinly veiled version Friends? of Friends. And it's, like, basically, like, one of the castmates kills one of the other castmates, oh, and, like, you know, Ross kills Rachel. Because and... to me, like, Murder, <laughs> She Wrote is such a firmly 
80s show. Like, yeah. it's hard to wrap my head around of Murder, She Wrote, and Friends existing at the same time on television. I know, but yeah, they did. And then she even did some TV movies, you know, up into, mm-hmm. I mean, not that long ago, I think. Well, at this point, it's probably 10 years plus. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, 1984 to 1996. Wow. 264 episodes in 12 seasons with four TV movies. Oh, it will run in syndication. Oh, forever. forever. Yeah. Forever. But anyway... So yeah, that's my party thoughts on Blind Faith. Yeah, just yeah. a nice, straightforward episode. Absolutely, it was it was nice to remember. Yeah, to to like the the serial killer motif that we had. This is not the last time Quantum Leap will visit the serial killer no. motif. <laughs> um, and I feel like I, I, I'm just going to say this now, even though it might be more appropriate to say it five episodes from now or whatever. I feel like we are beginning to get into a real sweet spot with season two mm-hmm. um, there are a number of episodes coming up which may have a couple of flaws or issues here or there that I feel like overall we're about to hit a stretch of about six episodes that are just damn good quality. oh yeah I was looking on the blu-rays this morning and yeah you I'm, know yeah very yeah. interested to to get in, to get into this stretch and I because I would say that really you know we got honeymoon Express and disco Inferno which are two strong episodes. I was not a huge fan of the two after that, but uh, but now we're into yeah we're getting into kind of the sweet spot of the show and it's 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 nice you know and the episodes do fly by so mm-hmm. we're gonna fly out of here fly now. Here. That, here. Uh, that being said, we're recording these episodes early, but oh, if, right. if I do remember correctly from what we discussed logistic wise, this is going to be our last episode of. 2017. It is. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna not post for for two weeks for for Christmas week and New Year's week. Yeah. And then we will return on. I'm looking at my calendar right now. Uh, January the 9th with our uh, next episode of Good Morning Peoria. And yeah, we've you know we we've done I think 16 or 17 episodes straight. So so, so you've had us for like 16 weeks now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, we we thought. We'd give everybody a, a break. Yeah, we're going to take weeks. a couple weeks off um, and round up. Uh, I want to get some more guests yes. in here. Yes, and if you would week. like to guess, let us know. Yes, if you would like to guess, especially uh, even we, we've our, our recording, our, our recording <laughs> setup is kind of primitive, but I think we figured out Skype enough. If you would like to guest on an episode, uh, let us know, and we'll 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 Skype you in. And Absolutely. we're gonna get Matt Dale on here pretty soon. Yes, yes. Uh, uh, a friend of mine, uh, Lawrence, who has a uh, fairly popular Twitter, uh, will also be joining us, giving a, a Brits opinion. Uh, well, Matt is also a Brit, so we've got two mm-hmm. two Brits coming up, um, and uh, yeah, we'll have a few other guests uh, in the pipeline. But we're always looking for for new ones. And uh, yeah, so um, happy holidays, happy New Year. Um, all the best from Project Quantum Leap to you, Fate's Wide Wheel, and, and we will uh, we'll see you in 2018. We'll see you next year. Take care. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed what you've heard or have any questions or comments, don't be shy. Reach out to us online at fwwquantumleappod.com or Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook at Fate's Wide Wheel. And remember to hit the subscribe button and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you may be listening. Until next time.
Can't see, you'll never know. 